Good morning, my darling, I'm telling you this To let you know that I'm sorry you're sick Though tears of sorrow won't do you no good I'd be your doctor if only I could I'm here um, with, and help me with your name here, I want to make sure I'm not messing it up, but <laughs> with Matt Hungoltz Hetling. Um, oh, wow, that, that was right? good. Is that, that is okay. What is the um, what what is the um, like history of those of those names? I'm guessing that they um, weren't originally together. That that's correct. I was born a Hetling, uh, which was a um, Ellis Island switch up from uh, Hertlinski from my native uh-huh. uh, Poland or Ukraine, depending on uh, who you ask and and at what point in history we are. Uh, and then uh, my wife is a. Uh, she was the Hongolts, and they are uh, Eastern huh. European of of uh, indeterminate origin. Was it uh, uh, Czech or is it Turkish? You know, it, it might be Czech. Uh, yeah, my wife's Czech. Sure. Oh, really? I mean, a couple oh. generations later, she's you know they there's a big like kind of Indian. Uh, there's a big like population in Indiana of uh, Germans and and uh, Czech and different Europeans. So she came from Indiana, and we met at Swanee. But it, it looks oh, yeah. she would she would probably be the person to ask about that. <laughs> well, so if you're a patient of mine, a lot of people um, I've actually recommended your first book to just because it was kind of up there, Allie, um, which we're not talking entirely about the first book today. Um, but uh, the, you know, the the first book is called uh, or it may not be your first book, but it's the first one that I read by you. Um, no, a is. libertarian walks into a bear um, and it's basically a town of people who meet uh you know on these online forums talking about politics and if there were no taxes if there were no rules if there were no regulations you know it would just be this perfect utopian society if we got rid of all that so you know spoiler alert they get together and um it works the town is a really great place to live if you're a bear um, so, um the bears uh, loved it yeah and then or, or, or did they i mean it seems like um I mean, I don't know uh, if it, I know that a lot of people started with the article and then ordered your book because you had the Atlantic article or it was in the it was in the Atlantic, wasn't it? The, the like condensed version of the story. Um, yeah, it was in the Atavist. Uh, and uh, okay. then the New Republic did a really great write up of the book that that also kind of functioned as a summary. Uh, so a lot mm-hmm. of people, that's their entryway. Um, and yeah, no, the. Um, yeah, and I wasn't even there talking about libertarians when I first got to that town. I was just asking people about all these weird bear stories that we're having, and then I, I you know, kind of like back ended in, into the libertarian thing. Well, and it's it's wild. Um, it sounds like they did something very unique to bear psychology, which is making them associate human beings with like one food and then two violence and pain. Um, so it made for a really dangerous population when you some people in the town feed the bears piles of donuts and then others uh, shoot at them with small arms or throw sticks of dynamite at them. It's just, you know, a lot of strange uh, neural networks that you're creating in bear brains that are not uh, good for the overlapping Venn diagram of nature and and mankind. Um, yeah. So anyway, also that, that about the psychological good. impact of uh, uh, free donuts and uh, no sleep. You know, so so like they they checked a lot of boxes for. Uh, Wait, so there's uh, something depriving, like depriving the bears of sleep. What? Is, well, what? like um, they weren't hibernating. Uh-huh. The, the, oh, naturally, a bear hibernates all winter. I gotcha. Uh, to to and so that's a that's a lengthy slumber. <laughs> and uh, here, like the the food the food supply was so abundant 
uh, that they said, yeah, screw it. We'll skip that part and we'll just keep eating. <laughs> just bulking, just making the, <laughs> the most like ripped, you know, calorie. Uh, wow. That's, that, that's amazing. Um, yeah. Don't talk to me until I've had my coffee and dynamite or my donuts. and dynamite. Um, so a lot of my patients actually have read that book. They were interested in it. Um, not, and it's not everybody's cup. Not everybody's psychology is, you know, geared to like something like that, but it, you know, I, I like a lot of different kinds of things and, a couple of people have read it, um, but the new book is "Walks Like a Quack." Is that right? It sounds like a quack. It sounds like a quack. So that's yeah. uh, a book about um, kind of grifting fanaticism and pseudoscience in healthcare. Which so your book, the, the the recent one combines like all of my interests, which are you know psychology and healthcare and evidence based practice, but also scams i just have loved since i was a little kid you know every time there's one weird trick that doctors don't want you to know about every time that um there was a book that obama did not want me to read every time that a televangelist or you know a online prophet person you know had a vision that was directly related to my financial um well-being i'm i'm there my my wife had to stop me at our last house was like do not call any more of these people we are getting so much mail <laughs> guess you don't have to give them money if you just correspond with them at all. I mean, they, they assume the money will come if they give you enough attention, and you get you get some great stuff. Um, there's uh, do you remember Peter Popoff? You ever seen Peter Popoff? Peter Popoff? No, no, I'm not sure I know who that is. So, I mean, we have the memory of Goldfish with a lot of this stuff, but he was disgraced in oh, the yeah. '80s because he was a huge televangelist. I think he was Russian or pretended to be Russian, and he uh, would do faith healing. So the people would come up on the stage, and he'd put his hands on them. And then he would be like, oh, 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 this is what's wrong with you. And so a skeptic yeah. went in, like he would say, you know, that they had cancer or whatever. And then the person would be really amazed because that he knew their healthcare um, without knowledge. And so a skeptic took a radio in there and it was before encrypted radio. So you could, as long as you <laughs> scan the frequency, you could see which one he was on. And he had an earpiece and his wife was reading the intake cards when people uh... had paid to come in and telling him the stuff. But she was being really hateful. Like she was saying, you know, like, well, this fat inward has breast cancer and just awful stuff. And so he oh recorded all of it and he was disgraced. So now he's back and he has a, a, a TV ad about how you can get miracle water from him. Um, and the miracle <laughs> water comes from a spring in Chernobyl that God told Christians about during the Chernobyl disaster and the people who drank from it didn't get radiation poisoning. Um, I looked into it because I was really fascinated and finally tracked down one of the people at the factory where they package it. And they said yeah. that like it, it basically is just water that they it's a shampoo company that bottles the thing it's not even <laughs> like regulated for healthcare so anyway yeah he sent us water that's a very um, he specific us, claim well it, he, i um i don't know if i would have gone if i didn't have something to do but i was corresponding with him for a while i mean none of the people get money from me but you get this bizarre stuff like one guy he sent me um this like basically like in, instructions for a spell like he was like okay, you know, God wants you to do this, like put this mustard seed like counterclockwise and then throw it over your shoulder, but then take this <laughs> tiny mirrored piece of paper, look at it and then put it under your pillow for 12 hours. And then it's like, this is D and D like at this point, this is, <laughs> this is just witchcraft. Like, <laughs> um, and, and then he was in Birmingham and was like, Oh, because we've corresponded so much come to the, um, the Hilton, like I've rented this. And it was like a small office room. I don't know how many people were invited to this. I didn't go, but I was kind of like, wow. you know, if it was a huge conference or something. I might've gone, but you, you I didn't really know what I was going to be walking into a room with this dude. <laughs> um, it might not have been him. It might be, you know, a representative or something. But I, yeah, I love all of that stuff. And so your book, um, you know, combining all these interests. And before, like, I'd like to, because the book is fascinating. 
um, it's a great read. I really recommend everybody get it. And the audible version is, is really um, what makes it a lot easier. Um, but before we get into like some of the characters in the book and your process um, of writing it and what it's about, I'd be curious to know a little bit about why you write about the things that you write about. Um, because what's interesting to me, like the, this overlap maybe doesn't make sense at first. Um, but are you familiar with Werner Herzog? Have you ever seen Herzog stuff? Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, so, Grizzly Man, more more than a lot of other things that he's done. But yeah, no, yeah. No, I, he, he's uh, once you see a clip of Werner Herzog talking, uh, you do not forget who Werner Herzog is. <laughs> no, um, sometimes you want to. Um, but yeah, I mean, I see like a little bit of overlap in the subject matter of what y'all kind of gravitate to. And there's parts, it definitely is, would not be in your writing style, but there are parts of both books where you can almost hear it in Werner Herzog's voice. Like if this was a Werner Herzog <laughs> documentary, they would be like, they thought the greed of the free market would be the force driving <laughs> instead a new type of insatiable hunger was coming to the town, you know? <laughs> um, <laughs> Or, you know, the, it's definitely the stuff about healthcare and faith healing in the new book. You, there's parts where I, I felt like I could hear Herzog talking. But I mean, one of the things that's interesting to me with uh, him is that he's incredibly like logical and rooted in the real and the material. Um, like he famously, if you uh, talk about yoga or shamanism, he will kick you out of his film classes without reversing you is one of the rules. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, very contemptuous of anything that is kind of spiritual or religious or woo-woo or out there. I mean, he yells at people for bringing up like Jung in his classes, but then his attention is like so much on the spiritual and the insane and the depth psychology and the forces <laughs> underneath human behavior. Um, it's like the only thing that he films. And and I mean, not, not uh, you know, you, you don't take it to that extreme, but there is kind of a focus in all the stuff that I've, I've seen your name attached to about these kind of forces beneath you know, not fanaticism but because some of the people don't believe what they're saying you know but there is something of, they're kind of about religion you know in a way it, would you agree or i, I don't know i'll, I'll give yeah yeah no there's definitely like a um you know they've wrapped their self-identities up in these kind of bizarre beliefs so so completely uh that it fills the role of religion in their life you know it, it, it's it's the one thing they think about and start talking about when they wake up in the morning it's the last thing they think about before their uh their eyes close uh, on the pillow at night like this is uh you know if you are um you know one of the guys i talked about in the book robert young uh who mm -hmm. young is fascinating that, yeah that you can like inject baking soda into your veins to cure cancer and and, and everything else in the uh, late 90s, my great grandma or my grandmother had MS. She, she died of MS. She lived a lot longer oh, than they thought she that. would, but she couldn't walk by the end of her life. And she died when I was pretty young. I think I was in fifth grade or something. But my great grandmother would send articles like he would be there would be these clippings from young where it was like, if you mix garlic with baking soda, it'll cure uh, cancer. And, and, you know, they would were just kind of like, you know, she didn't believe it, but um, or my grandmother didn't believe it. But my great grandmother, I mean, I remember his that because that was during his first, mm. I guess, foray into saying that acid causes everything. So you just throw some baking soda on it and the acid goes away. And so does the cancer. Yeah, yeah, right, right. And so, like, you know, when he wakes up in the morning, that's all he's thinking about is, yeah, how am I going to go sell the alkaline diet today or the pH miracle diet today or, or whatever brand name he's, he's uh, dreamed up that year? And um, it really does become like a, a religion and you need it to be a religion because 
when people well, if, you be, if you don't believe you, it you're not going to be able to sell it as well you know you you have to even if you know it's a grift on some level you have to turn that part right. of you off you know and you need the people who are listening to you to not go to other sources right like mm -hmm. you you need you need to be the sole source of information on this stuff uh and, and so they, it kind of like goes hand in uh uh glove with religious beliefs in that like you know you you there is a, a top-down authority being interpreted by one or a select group of people. Um, the esoteria you know, of it, the inner circle and the, the seeing through the lies of society is even if it's secular or religion or whatever, that like, that's such an important step because then it's yeah. you and me against the world. And now I'm not listening to anybody but you. Exactly. Exactly. Right, right, right. And so, um, uh, and for some of them, it was actual religion in, in the book. Mm -hmm. Um, uh yeah faith healing like you touched on um but even for those for whom it, it was not a religion it was you know uh a pseudoscience with all the trappings of like a, a, a cult mm -hmm. yeah i mean I, and i think that uh i mean i definitely see that with therapists even if the therapy that they're doing is evidence-based but i mean in mm -hmm. advertising and religion and healthcare and whatever i, I mean i think you hit on it pretty right. It's the people who say that there is this one true cure, especially in soft sciences. Um, when when it's like, when you were saying this is the only way that you can get the thing, you know, that's where there is a problem. I mean, even if it's something that's evidence-based, you know, if I say, well, cognitive behavioral therapy works for everything, this is the only thing that works for you. If, if it doesn't work, then it, you must be doing it wrong somehow. And I become resentful of the patient. If you don't have a big bag of tools <laughs> as a therapist, you know, or if somebody tells you, oh, well, this is the only way you can have this artistic life is to buy an Apple computer or to walk into a Starbucks, you know, in advertising or the only way you're ever going to fill this hole in your heart is with this church. You know, that you're taking away choice. Um, and that's yeah. the beginning of this kind of predatory process. That Yeah, there, there's a lot of treatments that I don't necessarily believe in um, that are out there that are, are not, you know, part of the um, establishment medicine. Um, you know, I tend to basically believe in the establishment-based medicine because I feel like it's been vetted enough by science. Then there's like a bucket of treatments that are like, you know, maybe show some promise, but have not penetrated. Stem cells or into, something like that. Yeah, yeah, uh, uh, something like that, right. Um, uh, but then there's, um, you know, even if I don't believe everything they're saying, I don't really care about them because they're just doing what they they, they want to do and providing choices to their patients and all that. For me, the really insidious ones that we have to like drive a, uh, we have to isolate and target and and eradicate uh, from, from our society are um, the schools of thought that are like we've been talking about, just really, really toxic, preying on people who are very, very sick, uh, uh, telling them not to get uh, conventional science-based, evidence-based treatment for their fatal diseases, being heard because they're the people they're preying on are so desperate, uh, and then taking all their money and too much of their remaining time as a result and sending them to early graves. Like, you know, it, it, I, I may not... And probably making in, conflict with their family because it is like a cult. The family's like, stop doing this. I mean, your last days yeah. are fighting with people who love you, which is so sad. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, they're totally setting that up for 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 conflict, and you know, or maybe yeah, you know, they're 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 alone, or maybe they suck their family in on this ride, uh, and um, yeah, you know, it's just a really really sad situation. There, there's very clear victims, um, both among their patient populations uh, and 
for us as a broader society because their methods are so damaging to um you know that they, they they undermine healthcare as a whole uh they they so distrust uh and they um drive a wedge between other people and, and their doctors and i, I mm -hmm. think that that's really um really contemptible honestly yeah i mean there are some very um very nasty characters in your book um and then there's some people who believe it but there's a part of themselves that is very undealt with and, and very awful and uh, what it leads them to do i mean the the I was curious um, to know more about the the family who basically kills their daughter because they believe not in God's power, but in their power to do magic on behalf of God more than they, um, you know, care to keep her alive, which is, you know, I don't think that was their intention, but I mean, you, you, you still make that choice. You're saying that, you know, me being right is more important than, than you know, us being safe and careful. Yeah. And, and, and I'll talk about them in, in, in a second, but even for these people who have done these terrible, terrible things, you know, I hope in the book, uh, I show that they are in some ways victims themselves. Like, like the mm -hmm. practitioner is a victim of their own self delusion. Like, like well, even if it's a small cult, like in some ways, yeah, the victim, the line between victim and abuser, um, blurs so much, you know, everybody That's who right. ever left, like, are you familiar with that Nexium cult? You know what I'm talking about? They made like the vow and seduced and all that on there. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. He just yeah. kind of repackaged NLP and Ericksonian hypnosis and said he invented it, and then you know it was executive coaching. But when you got up to higher levels of executive coaching, um, it basically turned into sexual slavery. Um, oh, but God. the um, so much of that was like everyone who left the cult, you know, had been doing these terrible things to other people, and then they all are in this documentary going. I'm a victim and this happened. And I think some of them, I don't, you know, it's not my job to weigh their soul against a feather. Um, you know, I think there are some people that were more motivated by, you know, not self-importance, but, you know, actual empathy um, than other people. But there are just so many times in that Nexium documentary where you see somebody being like, oh, uh, you want me to leave because the FBI is investigating? Oh my gosh, uh, I guess all this abusive stuff that I've been doing, I was coerced into doing. Well, oh, this stuff on my laptop, is this evidence? Does this help you? You know, like some of the people getting off at the tail end of it, you kind of wonder. <laughs> like Nazis uh, fleeing the, uh, the the ship at the end. Um, yeah, so like for Dale and Leila Leilani Newman, Dale and Leilani Newman, uh, these were like, yeah, you know, a young, devout couple uh, they, they were in love, you know, they, they built this uh, a nice life for themselves. They had four nice kids, you know, uh, they, they started off in, uh, I think it was Turlock, California, um, and decided they wanted to, you know, spread God's word and speak in Wisconsin. Uh, so they decided to go try to start a, uh, a, a fellowship in Wisconsin. Um, and they start preaching and that sort of stuff. And over time, they, they uh, their, their brand of fundamental Pentecostalism deepened. Uh, and they became convinced that if God can heal, as so many religious leaders around the world insist, uh, then to go see a doctor would be an insult to God, right? Like, and it's fairly, you know, it's a reasonable sounding argument, right? Uh, yeah, the, the counter argument is also uh, very easy to access and, and reasonable sounding. But if you hear that enough times, like, yeah, God can heal you. So why would you go to a doctor? 
know, don't well, I mean, that's what's kind of interesting is some of these people, well, like, like, like what you're saying there is some people, most people don't think about what they believe enough to act on it or what they say they believe enough to act on it. And, and, but you're, I mean, you do kind of feel some sympathy is that they're like, well, if God heals and he's God yeah. and we yeah, believe yeah. that, then wouldn't it maybe offend him to go to a hospital, you know, and every, you right. know, how many people say that they believe that, you know, but don't really think about that, you know, I don't know. I mean, you, they are really, you do feel like it starts off with them trying to genuinely live into this belief, you know, that ultimately kills their kids. That's right. That's right. Yeah. But because of course on an Easter Sunday weekend, uh, their, I think 11 year old daughter, uh, uh, Kara Newman, uh, she's not feeling too good. Uh, you know, she, she's uh, lethargic and, and doesn't have much of an appetite and she starts to get very sleepy and drowsy. So they're just kind of trying to let her sleep, think it's maybe a, a cold or something. Uh, but it just gets worse and worse. She gets less and less responsive and, and less and less uh, connected to the world. And uh, so they are praying over her, right? And, and they go to, to kind of heroic efforts uh, doing the wrong thing, right? Mm -hmm. They're, they're, they're praying when they should be calling the doctor. Uh, mm -hmm. and a lot of people are like, oh, you know, they didn't do anything to save their daughter, but in fact, they were doing a lot, you know, they, they were calling, and they weren't sleeping. They I mean, they were kind of working themselves up sleeping. into mania. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. They're praying around the clock. They're calling friends uh, and family and asking them to pray over this girl, uh, who, who's slowly slipping into a coma. Uh, they, mm -hmm. Um, even like they, they had a gr kind of a grudge going on with another devout family. Uh, and they, you know, asked that family to come, you know, they, they like swallowed their pride and asked this family that they had disagreements with to come over and pray over their daughter because they thought, oh, well, yeah, maybe this is the message that we're supposed to be mending the fence with these other people that, that we've, um, uh, you know, maybe, uh, sinned against, uh, with, with our pride. And so they're doing all this stuff, praying around the clock. Uh, girl gets less and less responsive. And then finally, like a um, a relative uh, hears about it, who's just married into the family, like, like a, a fairly distant relative. And she's like, if that girl is comatose, um, you know, she needs a doctor. And so she started from California calling Wisconsin emergency uh, uh, authorities, uh, 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 responders, and because it's Easter Sunday, she's having a hard time getting through, eventually gets through, and the ambulance arrives at the Newman's house uh, three minutes after the little girl has, has died. Uh, and it turned out that what the little girl had was juvenile diabetes, which she'd never been diagnosed with because they weren't taking her to doctors for her entire life. Mm -hmm. And uh, life could have easily been saved if mm -hmm. responders got there an hour before, maybe even... 10 minutes before, uh, but instead mm -hmm. she was dead. And the Newmans were so attached to their faith at that point and, and what they felt that faith could do. And I think mm -hmm. it would be really, really horrible to own up to the fact that you just killed your daughter. So yeah. I think instead they have uh, just, just kind of like perpetuated the delusion. There's good money after bad. Plan. Yeah, good money after bad. That's right. That's right. And they're, 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 their whole identities are still 10 years later wrapped up in the idea of faith healing and uh treatments that are not evidence-based and um uh it, it's it's frustrating it's sad it's 
angering and, and also uh, triggers a lot of a lot of sympathy. Well, and I think that their their psychology. I mean, it's interesting the characters that you pick in the book, um, especially the the way that you jump around between the different people at the beginning, the middle, and the end of their you know arc. Um, but you know, the, something like the faith healers you see this psychology that's pretty different than somebody like Robert Young or the doctor that is also an alien that you talk about who I don't think is a doctor um, or an alien personally, but um, <laughs> he, uh, the, you see how people who are raised in a household that is like authoritarian or hierarchical, um, they believe that what makes them lovable and what makes them good and you know what ultimately is effective is to be incredibly submissive to submit, to um, continue to uh, basically try harder and harder to, you know, uh, show how much you are devoted to something. You know, they they kind of prize devotion in these things, and so you see them doubling down on that. Um, that you know, mm -hmm. the, the the proof that it it not working is proof that it is a test. You know, and everything becomes. Um, this kind of self-reinforcing -re thing, whereas somebody like Robert Young is a totally different psychology. You know, he's someone who sort of knows that he is the Messiah, that not in a religious way, <laughs> who he, he he knows that he's got something that is wonderful to say. He just doesn't really know what it is, and it changes every four years. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's really like... Um... Yeah, you know, what what I came to believe is that it's really about the ego. Like we all like to yeah. place ourselves in a narrative that makes us feel good about ourselves and makes mm -hmm. us feel important and like we're contributing to society and and uh, ma making uh, the world a better place and, and all of that. And these guys have all stumbled upon something that just gives it supercharges that narrative where and their mm -hmm. egos where it says like, you know, not only am I a good guy, but I've got the thing in my hands that can revolutionize healthcare and mm -hmm. save everybody who's sick. You know, it, it, it's a hugely massive um, uh, self-inflating belief that they have. Uh, and that's, yeah, in the book you mentioned, I, I use the term one true cure and one true curism because they all think that they've got the one thing, the mm -hmm. only true cure to everything. And, and there's this kind of myopic Prometheanism of that they are the one bringing the fire down to the mortals and that, you know, people yeah. just don't know yet how, how grateful I they mean, should be. The only one who stands out in that crowd uh, for having an even bigger ego than the rest is the alien guy that you uh, rec you, you you mentioned because uh, he believed not only that he had the one true cure to everything, but that he had, he was an immortal alien god sent to Earth to elevate humanity to take its place among the stars. Yeah, you know, it's like, similar wow. to Heaven's Gate. They had that same thing, you know, that kind of fusing yeah. Christianity with '90s technology. I've I've been trying for a long nice time to, to wake get... up in the morning thinking that. Well, there. So there's still somebody in Heaven's Gate. They still run the website. They were left behind to that end. And um, wow. I've I've corresponded with them. I really wanted to do an interview on the podcast, and they won't do it. They will. They'll answer mm -hmm. questions via email, but they ask that that not be published or, or talked about. So I want to respect their wishes. But you can still go to the Heaven's Gate website. It's got a little Web 1.0 gifs of stars and dolphins <laughs> and stuff that has not been around for a long time. Um, wow. But uh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> it, it is like that kind of. I, I don't know. There, there is kind of this overlap of the Messiah myth with, like, uh, you know, this Messiah Jesus figure, and then uh, basically, like, kind of 
modern conception of the universe and space and whatever you see in a ton of cults um that kind of reconciles yeah. the tension for people what happens to him i mean do you know where he is now or what he's i believe he's in mexico uh i think if he was in the united states he might face criminal charges yeah um but uh it's interesting because his his partners uh have all been arrested and are are facing lengthy prison terms but he just seems to have kind of like floated away you know he's he's a big traveler um mm -hmm. and uh uh yeah he he went somewhere where uh nobody seems to be uh extraditing him well, yeah, and you see kind of the people's ego is different, but you're they're all in it for their ego. Um, Young, like, you ever figure out what he's doing with the money? I mean, you mentioned how he's, you know, basically charging $6,000 for baking soda, but the compound and the amenities are, are not very nice. Um, I mean, did he, what, like, was that being gambled or hoarded? I mean, what, what it was, uh, what was his end goal? What I've been told, and I can't necessarily confirm this, uh, which is why I didn't put it in the book, but I've been told that he would, he and his family, he, he had a large family, he had a bunch of mm -hmm. kids, he had a wife, uh, and they all had, you know, very expensive tastes, and they all indulge those tastes. Wow. Um, you know, Christmas morning, there were, you know, eight Christmas trees because there were eight people in the family, uh, mm -hmm. and, and each Christmas tree was stacked with presents. And, you know, he liked having very nice shoes and, and a nice car and, and they traveled a lot uh, sometimes to, to do their um, to spread the, the word of their cure. But they were also like built in resort yeah. vacations. And so I think it, it was just, yeah, as quickly as the money came in, it went right back out. And you always think you're going to hit that next level uh, where the money is going to get even better uh, and you just kind of never quite get there. Yeah, he Plus was kind of one of the help. least sympathetic figures that you write about. Yeah, he's um yeah, I I I agree with that because he he really um there were signs that he maybe didn't believe in his own cures for himself. Yeah. Uh, like his hair. <laughs> like his hair. <laughs> that was where they got <laughs> him in court. Was the <laughs> He had gotten hair plugs, basically, was one of the things that was his undoing. If he believed right. in after baking soda, selling, then why not use that? After selling baking soda, uh, or yeah, like uh, his his uh, proprietary uh, basic products, uh, alkaline-based products for hair regrowth, uh, and telling people that for years, uh, the um, the lawyer noticed in the courtroom that when she looked at the cover of his early books, compared to how he looked in the courtroom, that he suddenly had a lot more hair. And she knew that he yeah. didn't do it from from his products because his products were shit, uh, and so she uh, she she forced him to admit on the stand that he'd had hair transplants. And, uh, and that is pretty low to to tell other people <laughs> that they needed to eat baking soda for cancer, and then you don't even believe in it for hair. Um, and and then the lady in the book, you know, who he devastates her where cancer mm. riddles her whole body and metastasizes. And then after she gets conventional health care, she sends him the um, you know lab results saying this is oh, what right. chemotherapy did um, to the problem you caused. And then he puts that on his website like the baking soda is the thing that did the lab results. <laughs> I mean, like... uh, yeah. And yeah, no, that that was. um just absolutely cold-hearted right like, like there's, there's no other way to think about it there's just you know ruthless ruthless and and he is um since the book's been published he's been arrested again 
uh, and hopefully this time uh, I, I understand there are more serious criminal charges. And mm-hmm. so maybe uh, we'll put him out of commission. But that's one thing that I, I talked about in the book too, right? Is that once somebody has pegged their identity to these sorts of concepts, um, it is almost impossible for society as a whole to knock them off their course, right? Like they, you know, the, in the book, uh, you learn that uh, these people are, you know, being brought to court, they're being sued, uh, they're being told that they're wrong, they're being uh, enforced against by the FDA. Uh, they are, in some cases, going to prison for lengthy amounts of time. And none of those things get them to say, hey, I don't really have a miracle cure, right? That, that nothing shakes them from that misinformation that they're peddling. Uh, the, the partner of the alien uh, who, who was dispensing uh, uh, basically like a, a, a diluted form of bleach uh, to, to people and telling them to drink it. Um, he was and then telling them and, that the organ meat that they were pooping out was worms being released from the body. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, you're you're puking and having diarrhea. Oh, that this must be a sign of uh, of healing. Yeah, keep it up. Mm, Buy yes. more. Hopefully, no one's listening um, to this on their lunch break. <laughs> yeah, yeah, really. Uh, and uh, uh, yeah, that guy was in a Colombian prison. For, for peddling this stuff, awaiting extradition to the United States for a trial. And while in prison, he was treating his fellow prisoners. You know, like, mm. so there's there's no amount of punishment that society can dish out uh, that, that is going to knock them off. They have to be either caught earlier in life and steered gently away from those courses before they become uh, maniacal about it, or they have to um just be disempowered by somehow like like driving a, a wedge between them and, and their victims um uh, you know, there's no easy answer to, to getting them off the uh, off the streets and off society's back well and I, I think like the longer that you go on having done this damage to people and having invested in something that is silly and, and wrong the harder it is for your ego to back up and see that because you have so much to grieve. I mean, I, I had a patient one time, long time ago that came in and he was an alcoholic, but that wasn't what he was trying to treat. He was just kind of wanting therapy for some other things. And he started to see himself differently and he was really liking and he was a very bright guy. So he's like engaging a ton. And then one day he said, you know what, you know, I'm realizing I'm, you're great and I really appreciate this, but I'm not going to come back. And the reason I'm not going to come back is because I'm realizing if I do this longer, I'm going to realize that I have to get sober, that, I, that I'm an alcoholic. And I can do that. I'm not afraid of that. Um, but if I do that, I'll, I'll realize I'll become a better husband and I'll become a better father. And that would be a good thing. But to do that, if I do that, I'll realize how long I wasn't. And I can't do that. I won't see that. Oh. And, um, Oh, what you a know, tragic story. Which is usually people don't leave with perfect insight like that. You know, they, they confabulate like, oh, it's too expensive or you you said this. And, it, you know, there's that he was able to pretty honestly look at what he wasn't dealing with. But there's something about time. You know, <laughs> we know that we run out of time and we've lived a certain way for a while that you see people not able to accept it even when, you know, they face consequences and they're exposed and whatever. Um, cause I tell that story to younger people and they're always like, you know, college students are always like, what, you know, the point of life is growth. And I can't understand that at all. <laughs> and then sometimes when I'm realizing that somebody has a pretty big thing to look at in their history, 
I'll offer that story, you know, a couple sessions before maybe that is going to come up. And older people, you know, 50, 60 are just like, oh, shit. <laughs> you know, like, it, it, it's different, you know, when 30 years later. Um, so, I mean, you, you can kind of see why. And it's like, why, you know, if Robert Young could look in the mirror, could he live with what he saw? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's it exactly. And like, much, much easier to think, like, oh, these the consequences keep falling on my head. Why is that? Well, it must be because they're corrupt and I'm a martyr, right? Like that's that's the next step in it is like, mm -hmm. you know, A, I have this miracle cure, but I'm not getting what I should get for someone who has a miracle cure. So to solve mm -hmm. that problem uh, that they have to invent, you know, conspiracies uh, of people who are lined up against them and, and somehow like nefariously cheating them of their just due. Mm -hmm. I mean, what's interesting is like the people who get into cults or into like fall prey to predatory advertising or religions or something like there's kind of two big types. And one of them is like the kind of submissive. I need an authority figure. And generally they're pitched to totally differently. You know, so the kind of submissive. I need an authority figure. I need to be told what to do. OK, tell me the structure. You know, that's one type. And the cult leaders mm -hmm. will manage them pretty differently than the other type, which is the messiah complex. And those people mm. don't want you to understand them. They kind of get off to being misunderstood because the more that I'm being misunderstood, oh, you don't get it. I'm doing this transcendent message that's blowing up your world and you can't even understand it. And the more uh, abuse and consequences of my actions that I suffer, the, the more persecution is reinforcing that I'm the Messiah. I mean, you need to be misunderstood and you need to be punished in order to have that thing. And generally the people kind of exploiting them, like they handle those two personalities really differently. Um, but you, I don't know if they know what they're doing, you know, if it's completely conscious, but you see that across mm. religion and, and secular cults too. Um, That's really interesting. The, um, when you, you said you like had some stuff you didn't put in the book cause you maybe is there's not, you can't cite the source or something, you know, perfectly, but with young and, and the other people, was there anything that you found that was just kind of interesting during your process or, you know, any like kind of weird things that, that come up as you're, as you're, interviewing and going down the rabbit holes to get the information um you know that there were a bunch of people that i just touched on very briefly in the book that i wish i had been able to talk about more um one was a um uh, a vegan activist who had had his name le legally changed to herb of war uh and he um he was into supplements and he had kind of a life dream of coming up with an all natural version of Viagra. Uh, so he wanted something that was, you know, non-pharmaceutical. Uh, but, but so he spent his days and his years traveling to different countries, tracking down local legends of a, a plant or an herb that would uh, reproduce. The a lot of people get into Guaranara that way. I've seen Guaranara. People are like, the Aztecs used to use this as Viagra. And I was like, well, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Uh, and so he eventually, um, gets, uh, yeah, he's asking friends to send him samples and stuff too. And he eventually gets a product, uh, at the time he's running a telemarketing center in India and he gives it to his workers and he notices a little while later that they're, they're giggling, uh, and won't stand up from their desks. Uh, so he, um, he's like, and he tries it himself and he says, this is it. This is, and it's a, a Chinese plant extract. 
So he orders it. He puts it into production. He starts selling it under the name Stiff Knights, uh, which is not subtle. Uh, and um, all natural version of Viagra. And eventually somebody takes it and dies. And then the feds look at it and they test it in a lab. And it turns out it has the active ingredient for Viagra in it. And his Chinese suppliers were lying to him, basically. Um, They're just dumping so, Viagra onto, you know, parsley or something and selling it. Yeah, 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 right, right. Or, yeah, you know, coming up with like a, a chemical analog, I, I think. So, like, it, yeah. it, it's a unique thing because uh, you don't want to have Viagra suing you, but it's okay to dupe the public and, and the government. And so, um, yeah, so, yeah, the, 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 he he gets put out of business and, and that whole thing blows up in his face. But, yeah, so he was an interesting character. There's also a really interesting historical storyline that I had to call from the book because it was one storyline too many. Uh, but it was about a, um, a time in the 1800s when a, a guy named Samuel Thompson, uh, he started a medical freedom movement uh, because he was like a, an herbalist who ran afoul of the medical institutions of the day. And he successfully kind of gathered together all of the alternative healers in a war against the doctors of, of the time. And they went and on a state-by-state -state basis had all medical licensing revoked. Uh, so so states when was were this? not uh, 1820s, 1830s. Was that the, like, what's the name of the author who wrote that novel, E.T. Dorfa? And he had, like, that huge medical herbal medicine library in, in like, the Midwest somewhere. Is that, is that that movement or is that? Um, I think if that's, if I'm thinking of the right thing that you're referring to, is that, like, the eclectic movement? Um, I have I to look it up. Came, I think that was, like, um, that came a little bit after this guy, but drew on this guy. Because nothing really was evidence-based at that point. I mean, it was all guesses and you know half right yeah half. i mean yeah it was kind of like the university doctors had they had the scientific method but it hadn't really been applied very successfully right mm -hmm. so yeah they, they were still doing a bunch of bad stuff uh they, they were giving people mercury and sawing off legs unnecessarily and, and that sort of thing um pulling so teeth out was to like, cure mental illness that was the big thing at that point oh was that schizophrenia God. and things were caused by germs in your teeth so if you pull out all the teeth that was one guy that went across europe that is doing... horrifying yeah. oh my god what an image uh I mean, like, yeah, these people are so much quieter uh and and they bite so much <laughs> less when they're oh my god that's awful um the um you know this guy was what they called a steam doctor so he believed that mm -hmm. he was the cure to everything uh and so he, he would try to basically like steam the the disease out of you or give you yeah. stuff to make you puke or cayenne enema that sort of thing uh and, they were kind and, of extrapolating you know at that point uh what hot springs were always recommended if you had cramps or whatever yeah. they'd tell you go get in the hot springs so these guys extrapolated well we can get stuff a whole lot hotter with technology than water <laughs> that comes out of the ground so surely this will be more effective and right they, they right cooked, they cooked people i mean they and, and, yeah they cooked people exactly right and like yeah, and there were no medical licensing laws. So, like, there were no state-certified doctors. It was all just, you know, free market uh, Frontiersville. And, um, yeah, so, so a lot of people uh, were, were uh, steamed to death by steam doctors as a result. And then this guy, he eventually fell sick, Samuel Thompson, in his old age. 
and they started working him over with his own treatments. And at one point, he was saying, "Like, stop, let me die." <laughs> and they wouldn't let him die. They they kept they kept uh, working on him for three or four more days before he finally gave out. Uh, so, is there uh, something that is uniquely American about that kind of grift? I mean, it seems like. You know, you see these things internationally, but there's something about America in politics and religion and healthcare that is kind of not even good grifting. It's really like soap with a prize in it type. You know <laughs> <laughs> what? What is that? You know? Do you have? Yeah, a I, 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 yeah, I think you know the the thing that's really unique about American culture is how much like free enterprise and entrepreneurialism and the free market as um, religion. That yeah, somehow if you religion. if you just let the economics go run wild, they have some greater spiritual plan that we can't understand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and like and sales pitches are a part of that, right? We have a real tolerance for advertising here that I think they don't have in other countries. Um yeah, and it is a tolerance. Just... I mean, you, you show an ad from the 50s to somebody where it's like nine out of ten doctors recommend camp, like you know, real <laughs> made with real powdered heroin. Like that it doesn't work. <laughs> You have to, I mean, and the internet moving things at light speed means that our tolerance goes up so much that it's like, we don't even know what an ad is anymore. I mean, half the stuff on YouTube, the ad is like somebody, yes. it's like this jump scare of somebody throwing up and then being like, oh, I wish I drank this coffee or something. You're like, what? You know, what, what do you think? <laughs> right, right. Um, you know, like, um, yeah. it, it, yeah. it, it, it is tolerance. I mean, that's, that's true. We get resistant and then people invent this new thing. Yeah, yeah, and, and and I think as a result, like um, you know, in other countries, I think a lot of the alternative medicine markets are, you know, they're a little better regulated. You know, like he, here in America, like uh, the state of Nevada has an interesting situation where they have a board of homeopathy, uh, a state certified board of homeopathy, and homeopathy is bunk, right? It's uh, it's it, it's not real. It's basically bottles of water. Um, mm -hmm. with, with some some uh, theories that don't work wrapped up in, in its um, packaging, and mm -hmm. uh, but they've got a state certified board of of uh, uh, homeopathy where practitioners of that craft sit on the board, and they look at their members and they just make sure you know um, our our members aren't sleeping with their patients, you know our members aren't. Uh, uh, telling people not to go to a doctor with a fatal disease, like, like yeah. some just real baseline requirements to to make sure that they're not um, uh, hurting society other than that yeah. they're maybe selling something that is worthless. But they're not doing these kinds of more serious uh, grifts and harms. Um, and that, I think, is a pretty good model. And I think that yeah. is probably what we see reflected in uh, Europe and, and a lot of other countries. Um, but America's medical freedom movement doesn't want that. They, they, that's mm -hmm. too that's too much oversight for them. And so, when you talk about uh, how the medical freedom movement is kind of a front for uh, some other nefarious forces, that that uh, you know, it's this way that you can come in and basically um, hoard money and deregulate and, and remove any kind of social obligation to spend taxes on you know healthcare um, by pretending that it's giving people this wonderful choice, you know. Yeah, yeah, they they come out with, with you know they're 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 leading with their their uh, best possible argument, which is you should have a choice to buy the healthcare that you want. But on the back end mm -hmm. of that argument is uh, hospitals shouldn't have to be required to accept you into the emergency room. So mm -hmm. if you come to a hospital 
you have to bring the means to pay for your medical emergency up front. And they don't want any cancer research funded by the government, which is most cancer research. And they don't want the FDA to... Well, and most drug research, too. That's what's nuts to me without, you know, going too far off the topic. Like, you... If I pay for something, I want to own it, right? And we pay for these drugs to be developed, all the drugs that we take, but we don't own them. We pay a company. We're like, hey, here's a billion dollars. Please go make a drug that you own and can charge $500 a pill for. Why? You know, <laughs> yeah. if I paid for it, I want it to be mine. And the government should decide the rate of the drugs that they developed. But, you know, we have this free market approach, which is really, you know, corporate socialism, essentially. You're just giving money to yeah. corporations. That, that, and calling it the free market right. for some reason. Yeah, and it's really funny. I think like on, on uh, when I talk about kind of like um, commonalities between the left and the right and conservatives and, and progressives, like uh, the, the populist conservative movement that, that's been happening here for the, for the last 10 years or so, uh, that is targeting the elites, right? And progressives mm-hmm. have been targeting the elites for decades, right? Like, we all hate mm-hmm. the elites, but it's just a, a little tweak in messaging where progressives yeah. have problems with the, the corporate elites, right? And mm-hmm. those are all the guys with all the money who, who are calling the, the tunes that we all have to dance to. And conservatives, they've kind of like transferred that notion of elitism onto the government. And, yeah. you know, the government is our chance to knock down elitism. It's not mm-hmm. our, our uh, uh, yeah, so, so like, uh, I think what one of the people that I talked to in the bear book said, like, if you have um, public representation without uh, without corporations, then it's just pure democracy. If you have corporations without public representation, then that's slavery, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so, uh, yeah, I think the populist right has kind of co-opted the message of anti-elitism and redirected it against those forces that have the best chance of solving problems like income inequality and, uh, uh, you know, requiring billionaires to, to pay taxes. You know, it seems like a, a pretty easy ask that the billionaires yeah. <laughs> ought to pay taxes. but Or, or just maybe the works. same percentage of taxes as the person making $30,000 a year. You know, right, percent, right, yeah. For some reason, right. that their their percentage of income is, is higher. Um, yeah. yeah, and I mean, somebody like Trump uses the language of Occupy Wall Street when they're campaigning. I mean, the, a progressive That's movement. Right. And I think the more, you know, traditional Republicans and liberals um, view... Uh, sort of like social behavior coming from values that people just are not believing the right thing or valuing the right thing. Whereas more progressive and increasingly kind of fringe right, you know, groups think that material reality creates values and, you know, and that, you know, if you, you know, and so like a lot of the progressive argument would be like, well, you know, if you can't afford, if you're going to, you're trying to use inflation as this cudgel to whip labor to go back to work. But if somebody can't afford, you know, a house, um, a car, you know, or not a house, but just a place to live in a car to, to get them to work since we don't have public transportation and, you know, maybe like some healthcare to keep them alive or something. Why would I work? If I can only get one of these things, you know, one, I need the car to have the job. And then two, you know, why, why am I going to do it? Um, and that, that material reality is creating a labor crisis. Whereas, you know, I think more of a liberal or conservative Republican take is like, well, you know, people just don't work anymore because, 
they don't believe what I believed or they don't, they're not as you know valorous or, or I, I don't know what it is. I've heard it put someplace, but they don't make sense yeah. to me. Yeah. 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 It, people talk about like, they want to turn the clock back to the fifties, you know, and ignoring the, the social justice uh, problems with that. Uh, yeah. Let's no, make a public education, public uh, college cost a hundred dollars a year again. That, that would be great. Let's right, turn the clock back to right. 1950. Let, let's turn the tax rate back to 1950. Let's, uh, uh, create a standard of uh, expectation in the workplace so that a single breadwinner can earn enough to support a family of four, right? Like that was that was yeah. how it worked. Now it's like a uh, couple's got to work three jobs uh, to support two kids, and uh, mm -hmm. you know, the, it's, it's, it's just um, it's just yeah, the 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 biggest grift of all. And the medical freedom uh, movement has been really uh uh instrumental in advancing that um but because they they because doctors are an easy target because we don't like doctors do we uh yeah. we, we 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 have a natural fear of doctors and doctors often don't help their own cases any because uh they make so much money and because they mm -hmm. uh can look down on their patients uh from, from such a high distance there's a a cultural wedge between doctors and their patients and so uh, we take those sorts of facts and then we extrapolate them into doctors are corrupt and all their cures are, are ineffective. And that's yeah, just simply not true. Well, and, and it is an easy target because, you know, there are some professions where some of the people in them are perfectly nice. You know, doctors, lawyers mm -hmm. and police officers, like a lot of people are doing a great job, I would say most people. But there are mm -hmm. spheres of those practice domains where the law is optional to you. And I think that is the problem. Um, you know, there should mm -hmm. not be places where the law is optional for certain careers. And unfortunately, there just there are. I mean, there are places where there's no consequences. Um, but I mean, the, the thing that we're talking about with politics is also the same thing that you're talking about in the book with medicine, which is that a ton of times what those people are good at, which I mean, I think if we had more clarity and probably a better press, this would benefit um, politics and medicine, is that they there are real problems and real corruption that these grifters point out. And they're like, look, this is what the psychopharmacology industry is doing. This is what Pfizer's doing. Mm -hmm. This is how research is wrong. This is what's whatever. And they're correct. Like it's corrupt. It's not yes. fair. It's not right. But the answer to that is not, you know, leeches and baking soda. Um, but you're <laughs> going when you're when you're listening to this person and you're agreeing with the first 90% of what they say, you're gonna agree with the last 10%. And and that is the issue. I mean, I, I think a ton of the time, you know, you you watch Fox News and they say Trump is good. Um, and then you you watch CNN and they say, you know, Clinton or Biden is good, but neither one of them criticizes the very real problems with their candidate. And so the other side can sit there mm -hmm. and say, oh, well, they're corrupt and lying because they're not telling me this. And they're right. You know, if you had, um, you know, actual, you know, the pre 1980s legislation where the news had to tell the truth and you couldn't advertise during it because you were working for the people and the government paid for it and there were you know, <laughs> regulations on what you could call news then you would have to tell the truth. And whatever channel you're watching, they're lying by omission and people use that to justify things that are incredibly destructive. Um, yeah, yeah, there, there's um, yeah, there's some good organizations out there that rate the political bias of various, um, various news organizations. And, you know, you, you can find ones that are near the center and you can find organizations that are, you know, aggressively nonpartisan and uh that that are really reputable sources of information and 
that's probably the, the good way to go. Like I worked in uh, several different newsrooms uh, over the course of my career as a journalist, and you know, we weren't sitting around thinking like, "Oh, how can we make a Republican politician look bad?" or "How can we pump up this this uh, progressive politician?" That's not how it works. You know, the the bias comes from um, the limited understanding that our own personal worldviews give us. So like, mm-hmm. you know, for example, in our uh, small town rural community, we would cover, you know, all the little league games. Well, that's something, you know, we, we might cover um, Earth Day every year. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and we might cover, um, I don't know, some, some sort of um, uh, uh, social causes that, that we might check in because they were on our mm-hmm. radar. But we wouldn't write, for example, about hunting. Right. And, and, you know, uh, oh, uh, some people in our community may have had like a significant uh, may have taken a bear uh, of an unusual size. And Mm -hmm. that's just because it's not on our radar. And it's Mm -hmm. not because, um, you know, a a progressive journalist, you know, misses the, uh, you know, is trying to ignore that that right wing culture. But I think there's some cultural features that are not covered in the mainstream news and that that in and of itself is a problem because yeah. that's how you build trust with an audience is you report you write on the things i care about where, even if you yes, don't care about them yeah that's right that's right yeah exactly exactly right and and that creates a baseline and then when you're talking about political candidates in an mm-hmm. honest and fair way um mm-hmm. more people are listening to you and trusting what you have to say yeah, but Matt, that doesn't get my blood pressure up. You know, I kind of this is the, <laughs> this is the dopamine hit that I get through my day is when I get to sit in the easy right. boy and yell at the news and and throw the hot yeah. pocket at the at the bad guy. I, I, so when you I when you're kind of making uh, me weigh both sides, I don't really feel as important and and, and excitable. I want to watch Twitter and just see like the worst point one percent of people who don't have my point of view, and I, I just want to like uh, extrapolate from them that that's how everybody is. Well, and it, and it's wild that um, well, I mean, that's why you know occasionally somebody's like, well, I'm going to make right wing Twitter or whatever, and it doesn't work because we don't want that. We don't want to be like free market. Yes, I agree. We want to be able to tell yeah. call each other names and <laughs> and throw doo doo. Like that's what's fun. Um, yeah, and but, then like 4chan goes free market, and next thing you know, you have like uh, pedophiles uh, and uh, people making murder plots and all of that. Like it just becomes a cesspool. Well, and I mean, investigative journalism can be fascinating, but I think that political journalism needs to be boring. Like if it's starting to get, <laughs> if it's starting to sound like the plot of Star Wars and there's too much hero's journey in it, then that's a problem. Um, and I mean, like, it's like I'm a mandated reporter of certain things. And you know, right. if the, the left and right, there's stuff going on in the Senate uh, that if it was happening in a family, it would be reportable as elder abuse to DHR. But because it's <laughs> happening in the Senate, I guess I don't need to report it. because all... <laughs> That's just a kind of a wild development. Um, but I, I think... That... Com- yeah. Go ahead. I, a comedian, I just reminds me of a comedian bit that I heard like, yeah, probably 30 years ago, where it's like, uh, the, they have to be careful what they show on television because, you know, um, in, in prisons, because if you're airing like a hockey game, you're watching somebody um, have to take the penalty box for you know two minutes for hitting someone with a stick, and the people watching are serving you know four to seven years for the same offense. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I the I think that um, you know 
a lot of well and be interested to get your take on this because i think that you know psychology does function pretty differently from medical healthcare um because it is half art half science whereas like you can do a randomized controlled trial and say which one of these drugs makes the tumor get smaller you're measuring a tumor that's a number you know whereas psychology well, has sort of become um something that we're trying to turn into a number and it's not i, I don't know if you've ever seen any of adam yeah. curtis's movies but that's kind of his critique is that when we start to think about people like computers you can program it's when our civilization goes off the rails and the, the structures of government fail to work because we, we're, we're not computers. Um, the, the, the title of his movie, All Watched Over by Machines of Loving Grace, comes from <laughs> the name of a poem that an engineer does in the 70s who kind of goes off the rails and he's like, well, I'm going to draw a circuit diagram of all of nature. So the deer eats the corn and that's plus two amperage, but then it goes into the muscle, which is the resistor. Like, you know, just this thing that is so wild, but people think, you know, um, that it works. And that's like such a seductive image though isn't it that like i can i can build the model that describes an ecosystem or the the board game that that describes a, a person like i am like i something in me really loves that idea even as i know that it's not realistic that, that something that in all of us you know it's that that archetype yeah. of the one unifying theory of everything you know right, right, right. um the, in, in the book a, i call them the the numbers junkies right the the mm. you know when you're just looking at the data and when you become so attached to the data that um you're micromanaging everything and you're you're um maybe ignoring the 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 facts in your face um which might cause you to deviate from an uh, a numbers-based analytical approach um but you know by definition it's hard to quantify when you should when you <laughs> when you should uh abandon those sorts of approaches and so it's uh it really is a a, a difficult thorny problem well and, and that's that's my point with psychology is it's like you see things like cognitive behavioral therapy which is fine like we all do some cognitive behavioral therapy but what cbt is is it's basically psychoeducation about the nature of symptomology and behavior and ego management strategies you know mm -hmm. um you're but you know all the research will tell you and you can disagree you're not i don't want to make clear matt's not endorsing what i'm saying um you know this is just kind of a, a topic of interest for me um but you can cbt will be held up as the gold standard because it's researchable. So if you're researching mm -hmm. everything equally and then you're comparing them and this one is better, then it's better. But if you're only researching this one because you can turn it into a number, because what CBT does is it only looks at behavior. It doesn't really look at how you feel or, unless you can turn that into a number and say, well, I feel eight out of 10. And yeah. so, I mean, I've turned down job offers to program computers to do CBT for hospitals. It's a completely manualized form of therapy. There's no intuition on the clinician. There's no intuition on the patient. You're either doing it right or wrong. You said this, and I, I got it right and said, well, that's actually magical thinking, so it's irrational, so don't think that. <laughs> um, seriously, I mean, that's that's how, the, wow. how it works. And um, and I'm not I'm not making fun of it because it has a place, but that gaslights trauma patients. I mean, you're telling somebody with DID who uh, you know, has an altar where they completely dissociate and maybe remember when they were a kid and they related to the strength of the cat while dad was beating them and they become cat-like. Well, just snap the rubber band and tell the anxiety to stop. You know, that does not work. You have to get this out of the, the deep emotional system and the, and the body brain. You know, so much of the newer trauma research is saying that the, you know, subcortical brain, it's not really what you think in language. It's what you're feeling emotionally. And you kind of have to turn the ego off to, to do that. Um, and there's no way to turn that into a number. And it, it's taken, you know, you, like you can say, well, this drug shrinks cancer better. Or this virus is best treated with this drug. This germ is best treated with this drug. 
Um, psychology doesn't work that because well, it worked that way because it's people and we're not numbers. And I think that so much damage has been done to my profession in the '80s when corporations take over healthcare and insurance companies, and and, and use them as you know the profit motive is what we use to to guide all of that. And and then what you get is well, CBT is the gold standard for everything, and and it's not, and it it really does so much damage that we're just now starting to undo. Um, and but just but that critique doesn't make any crazy thing that I want to sell you right either. Right. You know, like somebody right, who has right, that right. critique and understands that, that doesn't mean that, you know, some wild out there thing is the only way you can get better. I mean, I, I like brain spotting a lot. It was really effective for me. I feel like it's very easy to replicate. Uh, most people who say like, well, I don't really believe in this. And I'm like, yeah, just try it look right here. And it's like, it's such a profound and immediate effect that people are really shocked. Um, and, and some therapies that work, you can still talk your way out of, you know, um, but you know, I think that stuff works, but anybody who tells you that only one of these is the only way to get better is, is hustling you and, and is wrong. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're, you're very correct that, um, psychology is like kind of notoriously difficult to, to pin down and, uh, the measures, you know, e even if someone, if you are quantifying feelings on the day of like, you know, what makes you feel better today might not be the right long-term uh uh you know uh trait that you want them expressing right well, especially um, with trauma yeah. treatment you are going to get worse before you get better most of the time because you're opening yeah. something up that you're avoiding and so when you're confronting right. it it's harder you know it's like yeah, you, you, trying you to gain weight system. without lifting trying to like put on muscle mass without lifting weight so you got to lift the weights and you're going to feel worse and you're going to feel sore and like that's part of the process absolutely um, right yeah so the thing that yeah, makes you yeah. feel better is not always making you be better yeah and and i think too like um just sort of the structure of a um, therapeutic environment is in and of itself really important and good. You know, like, like you know, so much different than, than a clinical setting. Um, you know, like I, um, I sought out therapy at one point, uh, going through like a, a low point in my life. And just to be able to sit with somebody that I knew was there to listen to me and that I trusted to, um, you know, give me advice, you know, uh, divorce from, from the rest of my life, you know, just, uh, just to have that isolated, uh, place where I could go and feel heard and safe, you know, like just that environment probably meant so much more to me than any specific thing, uh, that, that my therapist, uh, uh, said or did for me, you know, so mm -hmm. it, it's, um, I, I really think this is a place where um, therapists shine, and the doc the, the the doctors based on the more hard scientists uh, sciences fail. You know, like I, mm -hmm. I read somewhere that uh, the 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 most sure indicator of how often a doctor will be sued is how much time they spend with them on their first session. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it, it, yep. if it's a, if it's a ten minute in and out. The patient walks out feeling hostile <laughs> and you know is then looking for that reason to sue and you know a doctor is not going to embrace you in a big warm fuzzy hug uh you know literally or figuratively um but they can find a happy medium and, and i think yeah. this is where uh, a, a therapist is really really good at um filling a role that's maybe not defined so much by by science but by society and and as our 
as our social constructs seem to be breaking down a little bit, um, that's creating a hole that, that I think. And the social uh, contract. I mean, it's like people, <laughs> yeah, people don't like people anymore. I mean, there used to be, even if you there were two sides or something, you know, there were some kind of group where you agreed and had community, and that is, is essentially going away in all spheres. Yeah, yeah. And so, and so now, you know, we can pay a few bucks and, and get that from our, our therapist. Well, yeah. Well, and I don't want to be respectful yeah, of your I, time. I don't mean to be reductive of, um, of what you do. Like I'm saying, that, that's one of no, yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I'm I, I'm, I'm a pretty big uh, advocate, which makes a lot of my peers mad for that. We say mental health, mental health, mental health awareness, but we don't really ever dig into how you actually get better other than, you know, making people aware that it exists. And I, I mean, I get flack for this, but I really believe that bad therapy is worse than no therapy. So, yeah, therapy is important and you should get it, but you should be very careful of the kind that you get. And if something doesn't feel right, you should leave. Uh, what 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 do you recommend is kind of like the criteria to choose somebody? You know, um, psychology Today has a really good sorter um, where you can kind of look at what somebody is accepting of. Um, I mean, one of the reasons other than I think the technique works really well for brain spotting, one of the other reasons I like it is that it's, it's very open-ended and kind of intuitive. And so you get providers that have a little bit, I mean, I'm, I'm big on like that the opposite of truth is not lies, it's certainty. And when you think that you have all the answers, those are the people that are going to hurt somebody um, that kind of think it, it gives them an excuse to be better than the law or better than the rules or, or, or whatever. And so, I mean, for me, like the people who say, well, I got a CBT degree or a DBT degree and my professor said that that worked for everything in 1982 and I've done every single continuing education credit in that forever. That's, I don't want to, you know, some, some of the people who say that they do this one kind of therapy, they've actually learned some other things. So not everybody who just has done that is, is that kind of provider. But there's the, the thing where if this works for everybody and it's not working for you, then I start to think that you're doing it wrong. And even if I'm not saying that or I'm trying to control Ooh. it, the patient feels this kind of resentment. Whereas with me, I want to have a big bag of tools for you. So I want to get trained and, and, and not just get the kind of therapy, the training actually be in that as a patient. You don't just need the ah, you need the aha of seeing how this stuff works. And, yeah. and when you do that, you're going to say, okay, this isn't working for you. Let's put it down and try something else. And you're so yeah. much less likely to damage somebody. You've got a clinician who's more curious, which is the thing you cannot teach. You know, when I interview, I'm like, what is the last thing that you read or saw in a magazine or saw anywhere podcast that you applied for your job? If you're talking about college 15 years ago, I'm not going to hire you. <laughs> okay, and you can't you can't fake that question. Somebody who is a yeah. sorry candidate can't sit there and go, "Oh yeah, mm -hmm, I worked so hard to do this." Is you you know you can't come up with that if you have not learned anything in 10 years. You can't lie about that. Um, and so I think the the curiosity and the the need to help people and get more tools and, and to kind of wonder that, that really that's what you want in a therapist. I think. Yeah, and another way to think about that is like um, you have to be sort of like. Yeah, you have to be able to speak the language of the patient. You know, um, mm. some some patients are going to be receptive to certain treatments, and maybe they've got a you know a predisposition against other forms of treatment. And so, um, you know, maybe one feels good in a certain culture cultural mm. setting, and another one doesn't. And so, mm. when you have a bunch of tools in your toolkit, um, that that allows you to to speak more languages. Well, and that's what's funny, too, is Irvin Yalom, um, the existential therapy guy from the 80s, um, he was always really critical of CBT. And he would be like, why do all these CBT therapists come to see me? Like, if it works so good, why don't you go see one of y'all's? 
know, it's just kind of <laughs> um, real candid. But that is one of the things he points out is that he did a study himself, just a subjective one, where he had patients write. He wrote down what he did in each session and what worked and what was so brilliant. And then he had patients write down what happened in each session. And then a year after therapy, he'd go back and read it and what he thought was the profound helpful thing was never what the patient was thinking was profound <laughs> and helpful um and he also has another thing you know where he says that um i'm losing my train of thought now um shoot y'all well yeah i mean Yalom was was somebody who was kind of saying that there's something that's numinous there's something about the relationship it's two people that are kind of he would never use the word spiritual because he's an existential therapist but um two people coming together to kind of wonder and and, and love and be present something about that heals in a way that you cannot turn into a number. Um, but then there also are techniques that are important. You know, um, a lot of, a lot of bringing the body into healthcare and things, it's just very hard to, to heal trauma without having um, some kind of somatic component. Cause we're, we're just so much more than what we think. Um, and, and so much of therapy wants to just be analytical and thinking about all this stuff and you have to feel it. You got to go through it. Uh, well, uh, it sounds like it served you very well over uh, a wide variety of situations. So that's that's really good uh, for for the work that you do. Well, when you know you talked uh, a lot in some of the things you've written in media appearances about the you know kind of political problems that contribute to the healthcare that you're looking at. Um, one thing I'd be interested to see what you think about is to, like drug. We talked a little bit about drug development, but you know, like the free market doesn't incentivize us, us to make drugs that we need. Like what we really need right now is more antipsychotics and more antidepressants or not antidepressants. Mm. We need some more, but more antipsychotics and more antibiotics. Um, but those are a huge mm. risk. Cause I gotta, I gotta spend a million dollars in a lab and maybe I don't come up with one where what's very easy to patent is statins. Cause you know, every old white guy that's watching the Fox news and is overweight is going to be on one. And so you can yeah. kind of play with the research and say, well, this one is actually a little tiny bit better for your liver than that one. And then you find out that that statistical variance is not real, you know, right after it's in the common domain and now <laughs> it's not patentable anymore. So, um, but you know, you're, you're playing with a little sugar molecule and it's very easy to invent a new statin because you just kind of mess with it until it's a tiny bit different enough to patent. Um, and yes. then, so we've got like 20 million of them. They're all the same. We don't need more statins, but we have, super germs that are killing people in hospitals. And we have all of these treatment resistant forms of psychosis that really yeah. need drugs with better side effects, but they're not doing that because there's no money in it. I mean, do you encounter anything like that? Um, you know, sometimes countries that socialize better research like Germany and Switzerland, you, you will get the antipsychotics coming out of there, but the majority of what's patented is just delivery mechanisms. It's like, okay, we're going to put the pill in a shot. So it lasts for 30 days or something. And it's like, that's, that's helpful, but you just did that because you could charge for it, you know? Yeah. I mean, again, it just comes back to, to uh, the market has too much control of, you know, that, that's a great example. Another great example is people who suffer from rare diseases, mm -hmm. right? If something's only afflicting, you know, 10,000 people a year in the United States, uh, then I'm not going to develop a drug to, to help those 10,000 people when I could come up with something that I can ad advertise nationally and, uh, sell as a, a, a weight loss treatment to, you know, 150 million people. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, that, that would be irresponsible to my shareholders if I'm the pharmaceutical guy, right? Um, and so... Yeah, even if the person is a good person, if they act on that morality, then the system gets rid of them. So they're either yeah, a bad yeah. person or they're a good person that's not allowed to do a good thing. <laughs> I mean, yeah, this is the yeah. nature of the system. Yeah. Have you ever heard of a B Corp? Mm-mm. Uh, it's basically a corporate structure 
uh yeah right now most most like you, the the problem that you just uh uh talked about uh with like you have to run a company a certain way for profit uh the b corp is a different corporate structure that's it's a corporation it's all the other things but it also mandates that you put like public good and uh the good of your workers like they're written into the the dna at the beginning so it's basically mm -hmm. like a corporation that's designed to make profit but not solely to make profit you know to, to also mm -hmm. uh build in some social goods into that and so um you know one potential solution would be to uh somehow uh increase the number of b corps in, in, in these yeah. industries that are so you can incentivize them by taxing them different and then people would behave differently you know yeah yeah, yeah. The, the 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 cart is just driving the horse you know that the free market uh is uh allowing corporations to drive what they're going to sell to us and instead mm -hmm. we need a strong hand in government uh that can dictate more or influence what we need and then allow the companies to play to that uh and it's problematic because pharmaceutical companies are we all know spending a lot of money to influence the political process and so uh you know you have to get money out of government including pharmaceutical money out of government mm -hmm. um you need uh uh yeah like, like you need uh some sort of way to to assess what the public need is and mm -hmm. then build a market around that you know mm -hmm. and, and still still let these companies make their millions of dollars but uh yeah the, the problem is just that there's no upper limit to what they want to make right yeah. and they've got enough power to keep making more um yeah. And, and yeah so if there's if there's a way to squeeze anything any extra dollar out of a product they're going to do it mm -hmm. oh, my screen yeah. just went blank i can still see it so i don't know um okay. can you hear me okay i can hear you fine yeah well um i i hope that people buy the book uh it definitely is an important conversation do you have like another animal picked out for your next book you know you got bear or duck <laughs> what's the i mean the, the second book i was initially um thinking that i might just do it all based on leeches um uh but uh that, that just wound up being one of se several storylines in in the book um well it does work for certain things that's what's so wild is like they do still yeah. leech because they thin the blood in a way very localized that, that we don't have a drug that can do it that well yeah and we don't have a machine that can do it as delicately as a leech cat you know just just attaching all those little suckers uh so that, that was a really interesting uh uh fact that came out of it history of leech leeches in medicine is just fascinating um but uh uh yeah next i am looking at um uh the world of uh paranormal enthusiasts uh, oh, wow. so i i've been talking to um uh folks who are you know into like ghost hunting or mediums and and uh spiritualists or um you know bigfoot enthusiasts bigfoot hunters uh ghost hunters uh uh alien abductees um and seeing how they play into the the kind of broader society because i their influence is growing and their numbers are growing um mm -hmm. because belief in institutions is, is breaking down and trust in institutions is breaking down so yeah. people who still want to answer those questions like what happens mm -hmm. after i die 
instead of going to a church, maybe now they're going to a medium. And, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, you know, because I mean, spirituality doesn't go away. The unconscious doesn't go away. You, exactly know, you can right. get rid of the Catholic Church or you can get rid of this belief and whatever. But we still have a part of us that is longing kind of for this transcendental you know, thing. And somebody like yeah. Werner Herzog is clinging to logic. But then you look at what's unconscious and where he is putting the subject of his life and whatever. You know, so it's like that's still that's going to become hyperactive, you know, as we become more kind of logical and numbers based and the spirituality becomes more unconscious. You know, that, that's um, exactly right. As you say, like, like trust yeah, or, or faith isn't 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 going away. It's just being transferred from an, a top down institution like the church to a grassroots bottoms up setting like a, a, a medium. And so that's a pretty big change. And so what does that mean for all of us a, a, as a whole? when millions of people are, are are switching their methods of exploring spirituality. Well, and I think that that's where people get interested in the hero myth and depth psychology and the unconscious is when public institutions are failing. Um, because like you, you see that when people feel like the government is an extension of me and it's doing my will, then I identify with that and I'm fine. When I feel like I don't have any say in this and it's going against my wishes, then I have to have some kind of personal power. And so that belief gets more esoteric and spiritual. So, you know, and and like, that's a constant through history. Like you've got the Roman empire and everyone's like, oh yeah, they're parading these Gauls through the streets and these elephants. Like my empire is going and doing all this cool stuff. Like, yeah, okay, (laughs) great. I like it. You get the empire breaking down and then you have Mithraic cults and all these things. And so it's like, I mean, that's one of the risks to me in that people don't feel represented by their government because I would argue it isn't representing their interests. And the risk of that is like when people look at government and they're like, oh, I don't have any say in this, then an inevitable result is that 60% of your population will just believe in magic. And that is a pretty constant (laughs) throughout history. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. It's like this maddening dynamic where like, okay, we've got a government that we don't, it's not transparent enough. It doesn't do well enough for us. Uh, so my solution is I'm going to chuck it and get another system with no accountability to the public and with no mm-hmm. transparency whatsoever, right? Like that, that, that doesn't um, track. Uh, and so, yeah, like clearly there are a lot of issues that need reform in order for people to feel represented by the government. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, the, I, I don't think, you know, building a new government from scratch is going to make anybody very happy. Yeah. Um, and, and you, you see like in the seventies, you know, there's kind of economic malaise and people feel like stuff's not working and you get star Wars and all of this kind of psychology stuff. And I mean, I think that's (laughs) happening again. It's one of the reasons our practice kind of has the vibe. It does. It's not the, the boomer, you know, rock stacked up, you know, gentle, gentle time, come to therapy. It's like therapy is slaps. It's a part of life and art and growth. And we do steady art trauma treatment, but it's also cool. And our t-shirts are punk rock. Come on. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I don't know. I mean, do you, do you see that, uh, do you see that correlation like in, in, in just culture while you're looking at the topics you look at or you, I don't know, you know more about it. The, than the, me, the correlation between, you know, people feeling like they're not able to have personal power through the government and then looking for personal power through more kind of esoteric or personal means. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, that, that's kind of like a, a common thread is that you know, I'm looking for colorful and interesting stories and people who are doing colorful and interesting things are people who are living outside of the norm and living outside of the norm, you know, means uh, pursuing something that that's that's a little different. 
right? Yeah. And, and uh, doing, yeah, living those more esoteric lives. And um, yeah, so that, that, that's that been really, really interesting to me. And, you know, I, I hope my books get across that, like, you know, nobody's 100% bad. Nobody's 100% good. You know, I, I, I really try some people who read my books walk away saying like, man, he was so mean to those people. He treats them like trash. He's got nothing but contempt. Mm. And other people read them and say like, he was too nice to those people. Yeah. You know, they, 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 these people, you know, they, they killed their daughter. Uh, you know, like, uh, why is he giving, why is he telling their love story? You know, like that sort of thing. Yeah. And I think like my, my approach is to, to be critical and biting and, um, and funny. I mean, they're, they're witty and, books. and and funny uh, for for some uh, yeah for for when they deserve it, but to also celebrate the good in, in each of them and to to kind of like paint that more subtle picture um, or a more complex picture, I should say. And so I think that's that's serving me well. I feel like when I get criticism from both sides, I know I'm doing a good job. Well, and I, I think that that probably is informed more by people's relationship to their own shadow you know if i'm really afraid <laughs> of being called out on what i'm doing you know that i'm going to have a different reaction to your book than if i feel like oh i, did, I don't want to be mean and i don't want to you know accuse anybody and you know, i did something bad a long time ago that i don't think i can be forgiven for so please don't point out that other people do bad things you know <laughs> you get more of that right? <laughs> yeah 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 start to get a little nervous start to pull back a little bit well, they're really great books and um, anything that you feel like you'd like to kind of pitch or talk about um, that you don't have room to say, I don't want to keep you longer. Um, I don't want to make you commit to a lot of time, but also it's fascinating talking to you. So we really appreciate it. And anything we don't get to or that you think is relevant or other projects you want to pitch? Oh, I really appreciate you saying that, Joel. And yeah, no, I, I will just um, ask people to uh, give my book a look. You know, um, of course, I'm delighted when someone buys it, but I'm also delighted when somebody goes and, and picks it up from the library or borrows it from a friend. Um, uh, and, uh, you know, I am, uh, I respond to emails from folks. If anyone has a thought that they want to share with me, uh, my email address is uh, on my website at matthunkeltetling.com. Uh, and um, I really value the engagement uh for, from my readers and i hope that people um understand that that the books are you know not just about serious topics but as you said you know they're, they're fun they're funny uh my, my number one priority is to build narratives that are interesting and, and uh kind of read uh as something that will be entertaining um and then yeah, the the weightier, thought more thoughtful topics are, um, you know, the the vegetables that come with the the uh, the, the, the steak and potatoes. Yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, thank you so much for having me on and letting me plug my books. Uh, you, you, I, yeah, I knew from your emails that it was going to be a really interesting, thoughtful discussion, and I was not at all disappointed. Uh, th th this has been really, really great, and I hope we have a chance to do it again sometime soon. Yeah, if you're writing a book about the paranormal or you want to come in and talk about another topic, I mean, it's a huge area, so I'd be happy to have you again. I got a really big kick out of Matt's email back to me because our you know, clinic is on the, we try and be on the cutting edge of something, but nothing's evidence-based until it is. And, you know, I've been in 15 models of therapy. I've been trained in uh, more than that, and I don't do all the ones I'm trained in because I don't think they all work. But brain spotting and a lot of things were for, for very treatment resistant things I like, but 
I totally did not believe in them until I was in emancipation and had you know, a <laughs> profound effect. And so when I was saying, hey, we do these therapies and will you come on our podcast, you were like, I want to make sure that you know that the book is a, a critique of question, <laughs> not an endorsement. Because the book is in our waiting room. And so like when people come in, there's like, it says, you know, the quack, whatever. And I want to like, you know, print out some pages, uh, cause you see people reading it when I'm like, you know, come on back and they're, you know, they're kind of you know, look, taking a picture of it so they can buy it later or whatever. And I want to <laughs> just kind of print out some pages and paste them in there. So the first chapter is like, well, I went to Alabama and met Joel Blackstock, a social worker who's doing some, pretty, you know, <laughs> Oh yeah, come on in. You know? <laughs> that would be pretty choice. Yeah. You should do that. <laughs> Um, well, people like your books. Um, we have a uh, link to, to buy that in the in the episode description. And um, yeah, excited to see where your career takes you with the, with the next one. Um, I know a lot of ink has been spilled about the Monroe Institute and things, but have you ever heard of, uh, uh, what's his name, John C. Lilly, the 70s uh, CIA guy? He, no, that would no, be a fun one to look into. Someone needs to write that book. I don't think anyone has. Uh, he so, so he was this guy who was like a psychonaut, you know, he got caught up in that whole thing where the mm -hmm. CIA was like, we don't really know how any of psychology works. Maybe people can talk to their identical twin to share a message from Russia. Let's just do some experiments and see how much of the, how much this of the stuff, maybe LSD. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he basically, you know, is funded by NASA and everything. And he's like, okay, so the, the only reason that dolphins haven't learned to talk is that no one gave them LSD and tried to teach them. <laughs> and the CIA is like, well, I mean, this hasn't been disproven yet. Um, so they build him like a whole compound on this island that has way steep water. And a lady lives in the compound with the dolphins. And they give the this. dolphins LSD. You, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. yeah. Carry on. Go on. Yeah. Well, you know, so the dolphins um, are male and they just continue to try and mate with the lady and they won't do it. So he's like, well, you know, just go ahead and let them relieve themselves and then try and teach them English. Um, so the dolphins don't learn e English, uh, spoiler alert. Uh, and slowly, you know, well, it, it was Hustler magazine, like found out what they were doing and wrote like an erotic tale about it. And then, so someone at NASA was reading Hustler. I don't know if they owned up to that and was like, what the hell are we paying? For? And then realized what this guy was doing in the island and canceled all the research. And by then he was on to some new thing. Um, one of the things that's great about John C. Lilly is he lived long enough, uh, to, have discovered youtube like in the youtube version one oh. so some of the last things that he did are these like clips of him and like you know the ms paint of video editing you know with spaceships <laughs> and things edited behind him talking about how you can use crystals to talk to the soul of whales and then if we're going to combat climate change that this is a technique we all need to learn so yeah, those, the last time i checked those were still up on on his uh youtube channel of the late see <laughs> lily but, wow. yeah um and then it inspires a bunch of stuff like that what is it his like um altered state that um john hurt movie the first movie he was in is based on lily and then day of the dolphin is like this mike nichols project that is really really bad um, about <laughs> talking dolphins um <laughs> yeah he, he had a, he has a lot of cultural resonance but people don't always know where it came from I think there was a um a Saturday Night Live skit about the that uh dolphin research situation. Oh really? <laughs> I think yeah. so. Yeah, like yeah, they, they don't name it or anything, but it's like uh dolphins waste deep water, uh sexual tension. 
<laughs> yeah, luckily the people who do our community yeah, brain right. mapping have a pretty good sense of humor, but it's it's like, okay, we're we're now we now have a brain scanning machine in our basement. Are we gonna be feeling what's coming up in, in two years? Are we gonna be feeding LSD to dolphins? You know, like where where will Tapper Therapy go? <laughs> we won't. Um, but you know, you it is funny. Yeah, jeez. Oh, well, um, thanks so much. I'm gonna I'll go ahead and um sign off right now. I'm gonna let's see, so I'm gonna end the recording. you all that your belly can hold you can be sure you won't suffer no more i swim the ocean or the deepest canal to get to you darling just to make you well there's no place on earth i would have hastened to go to cool the fever this i want you to know 